Welcome to the Power Your Life radio show with host and success doc, Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today on Power Your Life. And many of us have had challenges in our lives and and have taken risks and have done all sorts of things. And and oftentimes within those challenges are lessons or gifts and maybe a combination of the two. And also many of us have done lots of things for people. Well, we're going to speak today to a remarkable woman. And I'm talking about Lisa Loving Dalton, who's a stunt woman, an actress, a master acting teacher, a coach, a speaker, as well as an author. And her amazing best-selling book, which I have in my hand right now, is called Falling for the Stars, A Stunt Gal's Tattletales. This is about her telltale journey from naive and insecure actress to one of the top stunt professionals on the East Coast facing misogyny, a miscarriage, and a lifelong back injury all along the way. Lisa Dalton has appeared in more than 200 films, television shows, and commercials, including Ghostbusters, excuse me, Money Pit, Crocodile Dundee, Married to the Mob, Legal Eagle, Splash, Selmore, ER for the TV, HBO's Carnival, Dr. Quinn, and Melrose Place, among so many of her TV credits. Lisa's new book reveals what it took at the cost to hang over cliffs, get hit by a moving car, oh my God, Lisa, drop from five stories up, dodge a bridge full of speeding cars, and to ignore the universe's more gentle prompts that it was time to quit and time for Lisa to follow her passion into acting full-time or as teaching acting. Lisa also talks about what it's like to work with the stars, including Madonna, Meryl Streep, Robert Redford, Catherine Hepburn, Robin Williams, and how she recovered from her life-changing spinal injury. Certified now in NLP, hypnosis, and neurological patterning, Lisa learned a new way to heal herself, and she's going to share that and her passion with all of us today. I'm so excited. Hello, Lisa. How are you? I'm great, Dr. Joanne. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. Now, you and I were talking a little bit before the show about just our own challenges a little bit and how they led you, I'm kind of jumping around here, but how they led you especially to study some alternative means of healing. So let's talk a little bit about that. We'll kind of backtrack back to you being the stunt woman. I just want to tell you something. As I'm reading all this in terms of what you were doing a bridge, dodging a bridge, a car, I'm thinking, what bravery. I mean, I would never do that. (laughs) Like, wow, how did she she get the nerve? So whichever question you'd like to answer first, because they're all, wow. Yeah, let me me jump to that one first, because 
you know, I somehow as a little kid, I was already sort of hell-bent on uh, being able to defy the laws of gravity. Um, I wanted to defy any limitations that me being the year younger sister of twin boys ahead of me, that there was anything that they should be able to do that I couldn't do better. And so I was, you know, climbing to the top of the trees. And I even remember in kindergarten climbing to the top of the jungle gym because a boy was up there. And I kind of waited until I had a good audience before I rather aggressively kind of knocked him off the top. Um, <laughs> I was not a well-behaved child, and, uh, and, and I waited, you know, the, the uh, kindergarten teacher actually tried to flunk me from kindergarten for my uh, uncontrollable behavior, uh, but it really w- was kind of something that I saw fears or I saw challenges, and instead of running from them, I dove into them, and I think on the Enneagram, if people know the Enneagram, I'm probably a counterphobic six who sees the dangers of the world, figures out how to prevent them, and then dives in to prove that they're preventable. (laughs) And so I really do love the thrill. I love the adrenaline rush, and I've come to recognize that the adrenaline is a divine gift for us uh, to help us exceed our normal limitations. So that is the the big thing, and it kind of also became a he- very important healing point when I was injured to understand what the chemicals in the body actually have evolved over eons of time to do for us and to be able to use them to our advantage. So things like understanding how your endorphins being charged could really help you move forward past pain. For me, when I did experience my severe spinal injury, uh, the medical professions basically told me that I should avoid getting surgery for as long as I can because the surgery wouldn't guarantee an end to my pain or the other symptoms, which included walking and suddenly collapsing and so I needed to learn how to manage pain without going on to medications or I wanted to because I didn't want to do the medication route and understanding for example that when I was teaching acting classes I was pain free and I very rarely had any problems walking. I I've very rarely ever sort of fell down in the middle of teaching, but at the grocery store I would because that was not a fun thing for me. And so I started to realize how the focus and concentration on something that you loved would enable me to exceed the limitations that my body was presenting. So that was you know, one of the starts. And another alternative path that I found very early, also from one of my dance teachers in college, was a path of, of inducing a tremble in the body. And the trembling eventually uh, led to fascinating past life regressions in some unique way. And later years 
trembling techniques also became one of the leading theatrical voice training techniques called the Fitzmorris technique. And so everything began to weave together for me, both in the healing, alternative healing pathways, as well as the trainings for theater. And I began to weave together theatrical training techniques and healing techniques into my life coaching and merging psychophysical tools that were designed for acting training and were designed to help an actor transform into a character to help any human being transform into the person they'd like to be. So everything wove together for me. It's been a fascinating well, <laughs> no, that that's wonderful and yes, fascinating. You mentioned a few things that I just want to uh, focus on a little bit, and that is being able to face challenges and, and despite concern or maybe some hesitation or fear, being able to do do it anyway, which is so important for people to get. I'm not suggesting that people jump off <laughs> towers or get hit by a car or you know what, but but oftentimes when we think about being when we think about something the fear comes up and often when we do it and it becomes more familiar that sometimes that or more often than not that fear lessens and something else that you said was was really very well everything you're talking about is really important but i think too that when people come up against challenges like like you've had they they're searching for ways to to heal them. And I think that that's something to your credit, that you've really been able to find, like you said, some alternative ways that really help you. And I know for a fact when I'm doing, you know, I have, I've had some multiple injuries and challenges, not just in the past, but even pre- currently and presently. And like you, when I'm doing a show or when I'm working with a client or when I'm doing whatever, something like that, I feel no pain, <laughs> none. And then, you know, like you said, when you're going to the grocery store or whatever, sometimes that pain comes up. So I think that's important, what you said, in terms of people recognizing that when they're so focused uh, on something that they're passionate and, and really enjoying, they don't feel, they don't experience that level of discomfort or pain. So I think that's important for our listeners to get. Okay, back to your the beginnings. Why why doing stunt work? What I mean, being a stunt woman. How did how did that come about? It was a very interesting process for me because when I was in high school, I was very heavily involved in my theater. Uh, my school was brand new the first year that I went there as a sophomore and didn't have any a drama club or anything like that. So I helped found it, and the English teacher became the drama teacher, and he used an approach based on Viola Spolin's work, which was very physical game-playing and improvisation. And when I went to college... I was in a very large department at the University of Maryland in College Park, and it was 
very psychologically driven in terms of the training, and I couldn't find my place in it. And it was terribly disorienting to me because I was kind of a superstar in high school, and suddenly I was a complete non-entity. But because I had been initiating the activities in high school, I didn't let the fact that I couldn't make any headway in this big department stop me. I just started making my own theater on the quad, outside, wherever I could. And that theater tended to be avant-garde. And I moved toward the stage combat classes and to the Grotowski techniques and all the very physical work. I learned mime, and I really specialized in physical theater. And a great teacher guided me to a program, summer program, where I got to work with major physical theater actors from New York, and that led me to moving to New York and becoming a founding member of a company called the Bond Street Theater, which uh, today, now some 40 years later, is a physical theater company doing juggling mime, stilt walking, music, masks, large puppets, things like that in places like Afghanistan, Myanmar, Haiti, wherever there are refugees, wherever there is war-torn uh, group, wherever war-torn groups are gathered to go into these places with this physical theater that doesn't depend on language and help educate them. For example, in Haiti, they're training them to respect women in the camps because if you're a female over three months old, you're, you've probably been raped. And so they're training men and women how to stop that. And in Afghanistan, they had a two-year contract to train people how to vote and how to mitigate fraud. And so amazing programs like this. And this is what we were training in. And eventually I decided that going overseas and this kind of work wasn't going to be my path and that I wanted to make a living. And I got cast in a film as a stand-in. And a stand-in is a person who stands in the place of the star while they set up the lights and practice the camera moves. And they step out and then the star takes their place and does the scene. And I got hired to stand in for Tina Louise from Gilligan's Island. She was ginger, for those who remember her. Um, oh, Gilligan. And that led to me also uh, photo doubling for Julie Haggerty, who some people may remember from Airplane. She was the soft-spoken flight attendant. Oh, Ted. And... Um, her character was kidnapped and for about three weeks of the shoot spent most of the time in the backseat of a car with the kidnapper and his sidekick. And the kidnapper was being played by a man who was the stunt coordinator. So I found out there was a thing called a stunt coordinator. I hadn't ever thought of stunts before, but as I was talking with him, I found out that he was the person who hires stunt players and who designs the stunts. And I thought, with my stage combat background and all the physical theater that I was into, that might be a great avenue to increase my ability to get acting parts. 
So I picked his brain and uh, also, by the way, made good friends with the the sidekick actor who was a new young male actor named Ed O'Neill, who went on, of course, to be Al Bundy in Married with Children and... um, and, of course, is on Modern Family. And we had a great time there. And by the end of the shoot, the stunt coordinator hired me to do a job, and that led to the whole the, my whole career. So that was kind of how I got started. It, was, it really was uh, an attempt to expand my acting opportunities. <laughs> what do you like most? about doing the stunt work? And are you still doing some of it today or is it totally shifted into more working with with clients and doing the alternative medicine? Uh, I will first say I loved several things about doing the stunts. I loved the uh, sort of science of it in terms of one looks at the job called in stunt world called the gag and tries to figure out how is this going to work, what, what is the effect that's needed, and how can I create that effect safely. And so if it's, for example, falling off a balcony, you need to see how high it is, you need to estimate the trajectory based on your body weight, based on the way you're going to launch, are you going to jump with some power, are you going to fall, are you going to be pushed that all all is going to determine where you need to create the landing gear, whether you need an airbag because it's above three stories or if you're using boxes and mats and things like that because it's under that. All these I have a question I have a question about that though. How do you get the science of it accurate so that you know when you're jumping off whatever that that you have done all the right calculations and I mean that's that's a little bit to me that's a little bit frightening. Like, well, what if what if there's something off? Yes, uh, and, and you're right, Dr. Joanne. It really is frightening. And one of my friends actually did make a mistake on a seven-story oh. uh, jump and and died as a result oh. of it. So it's a very serious uh, issue, and the way that it's done, you're you're going to practice with um, non-life-bearing objects, like, for example, a dummy or weight bags. And after a while, there's sort of a rubric that you can build among the community. You go out and you practice... uh, in a very, very, like a doubly, triply safe environment so that if you're off, you don't pay the consequences. When you get onto an actual film set, there's no way to take the time to set up all those provisions. So you should already know by the time you get to the set itself exactly what you're going to need. So there's a lot of preparation that and calculation that needs to be done and there are certain things that people have figured out, like a car, if you're going to hit the car, you want to ricochet off the windshield. The windshield should be safety glass, and it will take X amount of force being hit at X speed. So, for example, you don't want to exceed 17 miles an hour. 
and uh, depending on your body weight. So if you're heavier, then that needs to be more like 16 or 15 miles an hour. If you're lighter, maybe you can push it up uh, a mile or two. But these things have been sort of calculated over time and shared information within the stunt industry. So, again, you need to know because, you know, one of my my dear friends was hit by a car at 19 miles an hour and went through the windshield, and it was oh. not safe glass. It was a European car, and when she slid through the windshield, the glass dug into her throat, and then oh. when the car stopped, she slid back out, cutting closer, and she came within millimeters of cutting both her spine and her carotid, um, which would have, she would have been dead, you know, very, very, very quickly. Um, so, so there are these unknown factors that require us to take a stance and to each stunt person needs to be highly educated because ultimately you are the only one who can say, no, I'm not going to do this. And in that case, she wanted to say no because she saw that the car was going too fast. But if she said no, then she would have experienced a whole set of consequences, possibly being blacklisted for sort of, you know, backing out. And well, that was she was backing. That was like back. You mean backing out at the end? But she had a choice in the beginning. But sometimes you don't know until there's more. And from what you're describing, Lisa, there's more investigation. Yeah, I have another question. I'm jumping around because you and I could do this forever. But we. But I want to get in as much as possible for our listeners. Um, given the the high level of risks, are people valuing you in, you know, whether it's actors or directors or whomever or producers, valuing stunt women and valuing just just how much they put themselves at risk for, yes, for, you know, obviously you get compensation, but for others? And for you the know, film or yeah, movie? Or I mean, there, there's an aggregate problem that a stunt person uh, faces, which which is not compensated for, and it's just like the professional athletes, uh, the the constant and repetitive uh, impact that takes the long term toll. That you you're not given any special compensation for that, and that that's a problem. The part of the problem, I mean, just from an acknowledgement point of view. A couple of things, like there's no Oscar for stunt work, and yet when you watch the all the trailers, all the promotions, mm. the, stunt, the stunt players, we don't get paid extra for our stunts being used as the bait for the film. We don't get paid extra for all those uh, profiles of how the film was made that always focuses on the stunts. We don't we don't get an Oscar. Even uh, the Screen Actors Guild Awards, our own awards, are not the Stunt Awards are not presented on the 
the stage during the main part. They're presented like they're going to be presented this coming year on the on the red carpet or something like that. I, at least there is a stunt award, though. So there's that. I think uh, if you look on, IM, on on Amazon, you will see very, very few books by stunt women at all. And part of that, I believe, is because a woman who is actively in a career who exposes any of the misogyny, the drugs, the uh, inequalities, as I have, and uh, it will basically be blackballed from the industry. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'm uh, in answer to your earlier question, I'm not active in the stunt industry. I do. I am available to coach stunt actors on how to be better doubles and things like that, but I don't teach people how to do stunts, and I uh, focus on creating and teaching people how to live and or perform in peak performance levels. So that's my, my big passion. But the the stunt industry has a whole field called nondescript, and that's the person who's walking along the street and gets knocked down, for example, like I did by Robert Redford as he was running in a chase sequence and knocked me down. And someone like Robert Redford was incredibly kind. He came back after each take. We did about seven and checked with me to see if I was okay and to see if there was anything he should be doing differently. And so we do encounter great generosities, as I also experienced with Cher and Meryl Streep, very generous spirits within our community and deep appreciation very often from the directors and the producers. At the same time, when it comes to budgets, though, those nondescript people are paid a little bit more than what uh, an actor with one line is is paid. And anything above that is just at the whim of the stunt coordinator who sort of divvies up a pot of money. And if you happen to be a stunt player who can get that stunt coordinator another job in the future, then you'll get a little more money. Or if you're a woman and you're the his girlfriend or um, her boyfriend, then you might get a little more money. And so there's, there's a lot of uh, favoritism that is out of one's control unless one plays a certain game. So there are variations within the economic structure that have nothing to do with your skill sets. Unfortunately, Lisa, yeah. and you've had a career, you know, a beautiful career this way. You're now you're now coaching a lot of people, stunt people to to do, you know, do what you've done in in many different ways which and and acting as you look back on what you were doing in terms of of the different stunts, and and you mentioned a few of the actors, what what seems to be one some you know one incident that's most memorable for whatever reason, whether it's just the fear or the connection or you know whatever it was. Uh, I think I'll I'll choose the fear one because. We started talking about that earlier, about uh, coping with fear. And I literally had to leap across an alley six stories up from rooftop to rooftop. And and that, uh, when I stood and looked down, 
the from that rooftop and the width was too narrow to put an airbag up which is what you would normally have at six stories high so they had one of those trampolines like i don't know it reminds me of a cartoon or something with the and i can picture if i missed i would miss i'd like almost make it i'd cling to the rooftop building i'd fall off and i'd start ricocheting back and forth between the sides of the alley and these guys would be down there moving let's move over here where's she going to land where's she going to and hoping that they'd catch me and then i'd bounce back up and and that was kind of terrifying now the way i deal with the fear is of course strong preparation makes our actions effortless and so i spent all week long at the gymnasium doing my broad jumps and making sure i had the measurements uh and was cle- making the clearance and then as i'm standing up there uh instead of focusing on that nightmare of of ricocheting i focused really on the image of my body sailing across the uh, the you know chasm and then i really tuned into that adrenaline that was pumping and remembered that this adrenaline is a divine gift it helps people lift cars off babies and it is going to help me instead of trying to get rid of that nervous energy i'm calling it excitement and i'm saying thank you for being here and i go and I do it, and I clear it, and uh, I'm shaking for probably a couple of hours afterwards going, oh, my God, I feel like Superman. Oh, my God. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it's still today. I, I reflect on it, and I get that charge like, oh, my gosh, I leapt tall buildings in a single bound. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know and, it's, it's, it's really interesting because, firstly, when I ever see – a film with these stunts, I, I can't watch them. I It's like, oh, my God, how could they do that? And so bravo for for doing that. I think it's it's incredible. At the same time, um, what you said just caught me because I always tell my clients that excitement and fear are just, the you know, different sides of the coin. You get the same kind of responses. You can get flushed. Your heart could start palpitating. You you know, people's hands get sweaty or cold or, you know, all, and a lot of the same physical, I'll call them symptoms, come up whether it's fear or excitement. So the fact that you, as well as, as myself, has identified it as excitement rather than fear, it shifts it, I believe, in your in your mind and your consciousness which I think is great. Yes, yes. And that really is one of the, the great things. I, I love, I've written a number of blogs about addressing fear in our lives from a stunt gal's tips, you know, things I learned as a stunt woman about addressing fear and how it can be applied in our, our everyday life. So that's a big theme for me when I speak and um, one of the great things. But, Dr. Joanne, the biggest and best thing about my career as a stunt woman actually is the lifelong relationships that I did form with some of my, my dear friends. And that includes uh, the gal who who went through that car um, she and her whole family have become really dear to me. And um, a young boy, six-year-old boy that I met on my very first stunt, 
I just had a conversation with, and he's now in his 40s. And uh, just, just last week I had a great conversation with him. So I really feel that it's the human beings, the, the human interactions that were ultimately the best gift. Wonderful. Now, you had an injury. Well, you probably had several, but, but your book really focuses on, on, aside from all the different stunts and the people, a little bit of the healing process. And there's a theme that, that comes throughout even in just you and I talking earlier, and that is in terms of paying attention to the messages that we're getting from the universe or whatever. So talk about that with respect to how you shifted your career somewhat, actually a lot, and how you also opened up to looking at other ways of healing yourself and then being able to utilize those gifts, those trainings that, to be able to, to help other people. One of the things that I found right after I left that theater company, and it was really a month after that first stunt job, was an acting technique based on Michael Chekhov's acting work. And <clears throat> that acting technique just unified for me everything that had been missing from the external, very physical acting work that I'd been doing and the very internal work that I had eschewed in college. And it revealed to me, this acting approach revealed to me that there was no separation between body, mind, and spirit, that our emotional life, our spiritual life, our mental life, our physical life were all intimately intertwined, that a movement of the smallest part of your physical body could trigger an entire psychological and spiritual event and vice versa, that your imagination could create a physical change and a physical change could create an imaginative change. And training these to work symbiotically together as an artistic expression allowed me to be able to overcome that situation that many people have in many things where you get this idea and you want to go do it and you go to do it and it doesn't come right out at all. It just it comes out terribly, not at all what you meant. And it's very painful and it can happen even if you're just, you know, in a group of people trying to tell a joke and you have a vision of telling this joke and then it doesn't come right and it goes wrong, and so it's very painful. This gap between your imagination and your body can be healed. And I fell in love so much with this acting technique that as I was doing my stunts, I was getting these messages that I should not be doing them anymore, that I was endangering myself, and that there were other people who wanted to do just stunts, that my gifts were coming out more strongly as an actor and as a teacher. And so I spent a lot of my stunt income learning this acting technique and interviewing and training with anybody that I could find who knew anything about it. And this acting technique had been pushed underground. It had been censored by the U.S. publishers. It had been uh, forbidden and erased from the Soviet history. Uh, It was a fascinating uh, situation. 
But why? Why? Because of its spiritual component. Uh, oh. For example, Dr. Joanne, you and I one think of, that, that you can't have one, you know, physical, spiritual, they all go together. But that's amazing. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, I'm I mean, getting all excited for you. Yeah. The, the, like Michael Chekhov says that every human being is made of earth, water, air, and light. And therefore, mm-hmm. every human being moves either more like earth or more like air or more like water or more like light. And he called them molding, flowing, flying, and radiating. And when Harper Collins went to publish his book in the 1940s, they would let him say molding, flowing, flying, and radiating, but they wouldn't let him say that those were earth, water, air, and light. And they insisted on him editing out other what they considered two, you know, mystical elements for 11 years before they published his book in 1953. And the original what? original manuscript from 42 wasn't published until 1991. Amazing. You know, it's, it, it's amazing. But my passion for for sharing this information led me to creating a documentary that uh, Gregory Peck narrated called From Russia to Hollywood. And it took me to Russia and to uh, teaching in Paris and London and Berlin and uh, and all over the Americas and bringing this work to people because his goal was to create entertainment that was spiritually uplifting for the audiences, so that you go all the way back to the origins of theater, the ritual that's been caved into the, uh, carved into the cave walls, where the tribe is brought together, uplifted and unified through the act of the performer. And so this is my big passion, and and it can be for performers on a community theater level, it can be for public speakers, it can be for teachers, or for professional actors, writers, directors. We can all, for example, Clint Eastwood is a um, was a student of Michael Chekhov's, and you look at Clint Eastwood's films, he as a director, he as a storyteller, and even he as a performer creates a kind of riveting atmosphere that moves you deeply and he goes across multiple subjects in his in the history of his work from from the early spaghetti westerns to mystic river or bridges of madison county or grand torino or you know flag of our fathers crossing these uh, realms of the human experience and you feel a vibration from his work that is, I think, unparalleled uh, with other directors. So this is my passion, and <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love bringing it out to people and using well, it, I, as said earlier, to heal people in coaching right. as well. I think it's so important because, um, I, you know, like I said earlier, we I, we can't really separate the physical from the spiritual, from the emo- you know, they're all so intertwined. And once you get that, like you have and, and other people that you've worked with, they're, 
there is that connection and that flow that you can create from one to another. So it's wonderful. You and I can talk forever, but tell us a little bit about how you healed, because I want to have you on again, how you healed from your injury, what you're doing now, (laughs) and how people can, you know, get a hold of this book, Falling for the Stars, get a hold of you, find out more about the kind of, of classes you're doing and teaching you're doing and all of that wonderful stuff, Lisa. Thank you so much for asking. Basically, I really had to tune into my body and my spirit. I found forgiveness as a central element, and I had to forgive. I chose to forgive every little element. I realized one day that I was angry at cement because I could walk on earth uh, for about two blocks before I was in pain. But if I walked about 50 feet on the sidewalk itself, I was in pain. Mm -hmm. And so eventually I had to do that. And then I realized, okay, I've got to go out to, to nature. So I took a hike and I found a rock wall similar to what I'd crashed into on the cliff where I destabilized my vertebra and I I laid down bare back my bare skin against the raw rock and meditated and merged and forgave the rocks forgave the earth I forgave myself for not seeing that the rope wasn't anchored and I had to forgive the rope and I had to forgive the weather which was so cold and I had to forgive myself because I was under-rested when I did that repelling job because I was obsessed with being a good girl and making sure I had the right costume, and which they should have provided with me, which they couldn't provide with me with, which I volunteered to fix their problem, and <laughs> then stayed up for three extra hours taking a blue stripe and coloring it black to match the New York police outfit that was supposed to be there. I went through extraordinary stuff to solve problems for them, and it cost me sleep, which cost me my focus and attention. So I had to go back and forgive myself for being, you know, an A-plus student. And I had to really look at all these little elements to find forgiveness, and not just mentally, not just emotionally, but I had to find in my body where my shame and resentment was being held and find the actual muscles. So I realized that when I got tense over anything, that I was actually holding the muscles around the injury area. And and I was calling my back a bad back. And I went, mm-hmm. wow, those poor wow. cells. How can you, you know, if you have a bad knee, a bum knee, I have a bad knee, I have a bad knee. Well, you're telling those cells that they're bad. And so they're going to say, oh, okay, I'm bad. I'll behave badly. So I needed to say thank you for, your. I have a healing back. I have a healing knee. I have a healing head. I have a healing shoulder. I have a healing neck. And so, so I had to redefine and relabel what I was calling and how I was defining myself. And that was important. 
you know, that is very important. I teach people about that, too, because, and, and I've actually had to say to doctors, please don't call my knee or my back or my neck bad. I don't do that. So and I think it's important that you don't address that my body that way, right? So I right. think that's very important. Tell people, we're going to have you on again, because but tell people, Lisa, how they can get a hold of your book, Falling for the Stars, how they can connect with you and all that good stuff. All that good stuff. I have a website, lisadalton.com, L-I-S-A-D-A-L-T-O-N, and the web the website has free chapters of the book. My book has a crossword puzzle, and it has a, a little Dalton's Dictionary for the film industry and some fun, like, 40-plus photos in it. And uh, you can see a number of those in color on the website. And you can get an MP3 free that shows how to use some of these acting techniques for your personal development. And I'm also going to be coming out with a new book called Murder of Talent, How Pop Culture is Killing It. And this sort of goes into more of what we're talking about, the relationship between our culture and our icons and how we can heal the rift and help people not kill themselves with drugs and alcohol and and help people who've repressed their talent because they're afraid to you know, be deified or crucified like our stars frequently are. And I have an upcoming workshop at the University of Florida in Gainesville, December 27th to January 2nd. There's about two slots still available. If someone wants to jump into that real quickly, they can find out about that under the checkoff workshops on the uh, lisadalton.com. And I love to hear from people. So all the social media links are there, and uh, and I love to answer questions. So reach out to me. Falling for the Stars is not gals tattle tales. Come and, and, and tattle on your own tales with me, and, and let's have some fun together. <laughs> Lisa, thank you so much. Let me know when your new book is ready, and we'll promote it and, and, and have you on again. And thanks for all that you do for so many people and for being you. Have a blessed day and a blessed holiday. Thank you. You too, Dr. Joanne. Thanks. Speaking of holidays and New Year, I want to wish everybody uh, for a holiday you celebrate, whether it's Hanukkah, whether it's whether it's Christmas, whether it's Kwanzaa, whatever it is, just allow yourself to experience a beautiful level of peace. And also remember that this year is a nine, which means that it's the ending of a lot of stuff. So Think about getting rid of some of the stuff that's been going on for nine years that you are not satisfied with and that you're ready to change. We're moving into a one-year new beginnings, and I'm very excited about that. And starting the year, January 4th, we have Eva Starr, who's been a communicator with the angels, and she has a book called Quit Shooting on Yourself. So we'll talk about that and how you need to see yourself as Lisa has been talking about in terms of a, a whole person being able to to recognize the flow of energy throughout the spiritual, the physical, and, and the emotional, and being able to put that together in such a beautiful way that it serves you. And remember what Lisa also said in terms of your passion. When you're doing something that you're passionate about, that you love, you don't feel the cramp in your neck. The, you, you are 
and, and you are in in a wonderful state and that and that's a reminder to us that to seek out those avenues that give us the greatest joy the greatest bliss the greatest passion and that that allow all those wonderful endorphins to just surge up within us so that we do experience being pain-free. And we're going to thank Lisa so much for, for all that she does in the world. And remember, speaking of all that people do in the world, remember who you are, each and every one of you out there. And I feel blessed to have you listen to the show. You are all very incredibly powerful beings in your own right. So exercise that power, not against other people, but to be able to create what it is that's going to fulfill you in your life and to feel, as Lisa said, remember the gratitude because gratitude, not only at certain times of the year, but gratitude every day is, is real. Even the word gratitude is a blessing. Thanks so much for being here and tune in in the new year, 2017. And thanks so much. If you want to get a hold of me, you can go to Dr. Dr. J-O-A-N-N-E white.com. There are upcoming guests, a lot of information, free information about other shows, Power Your Life Network, Power Your Life TV, and all of that jazz. So thank you and have a blessed and a blissful day. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the Upbeat Show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come. Napa know-how. A Napa guy knows more isn't always better. Unless we're talking about full-size vans. These beasts do more than get you from A to B. They have so much space a man can live in it. With shag carpeting, waterbed, and a sweet lava lamp, these mobile abodes have all the comforts of home. With quality parts and plenty of Napa know-how, you can keep the original tiny house running longer, stronger. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Perkins presents America, a great country. Reason number 11. Think about it. You can drop an envelope in a small box and someone will take it and deliver it clear across the country for just 47 cents. Come celebrate that American greatness with Perkins' new Great American Breakfast. Eight new creations from across this great land, like the California Avocado Benedict. California, almost 2,600 zip codes. How do they do it? The Great American Breakfast, now at Perkins. Click the banner on your screen to explore the menu.